Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table, where we discuss issues of God and culture. And today, our topic is the Christian family in the midst of a swirling world. And uh, my guest today is Chip Ingram, and it's a real pleasure to have you with us, Chip. Uh, He's here this week uh, at the seminary giving a series of lectures uh, that uh, when we give someone a whole week at the seminary, we're we're highly committed to what they have to say to us. So uh, we're excited. And and Chip has done a a lifetime of ministry as a a pastor and has his own uh, radio program in ministry. Why don't you tell us about that? What is it that you've been doing? Well, Daryl, I, uh, you know, obviously been a pastor for about 30 years, and then we kept running out of room, and someone put it on a local station and it multiplied and grew in about the last 15, 16 years to a lot of stations here and around the world. But my real passion out of that was uh, I ended up traveling around the world a lot in my time with Walk Through the Bible and then they started putting things on video and and so uh, we want to help Christians live like Christians. And so our passionate living on the edge, even though we kind of do teaching mm-hmm. and then we take just extreme effort to get people in small groups. So we launched about 160,000 small groups in the last three years. Oh, wow. And then created resources to coach people because we think life change really happens, not because you just hear or know the truth, but in the context of community, applying it, holding each other accountable, loving each other, places where it's safe. And then we get people on mission and say, okay, you know, 24-7, where God planted you. So that's what I'm all about, and it's a thrill to be here. Well, great. Well, you did that so fast. The name of the program is? It's called Living on the Edge. Okay. And uh, I won't ask you what the edge is like, but anyway. (laughs) It's where I live in California, (laughs) the Silicon Valley. There you uh, go. Okay. So where are you exactly in California? We're in Los Gatos, California. Uh It is um, in just the edge of San Jose, right in the Bay Area. Area. Mm-hmm. So you're uh, there with the cats, huh? In there with the cats, that's right. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, it's a unique community. 37% of the people in the Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. um, San Jose area, are born outside the United States. Mm-hmm. 51% speak another language at oh, home. Wow. And so it's a super multicultural. 15, 20 minutes, you have Palo Alto, Stanford, mm-hmm. Google, Facebook. So it's, it's an exciting place to live. Oh, wow. Well, very, very unchristian, <laughs> yeah. but very exciting. Yeah, well, uh, it's the way our world is, and that's part of what we want to talk about. We want to talk about living Christianly and preparing your Christian family to live in a kind of culture that we find ourselves in. And there's a lot to celebrate that goes on around us in the world in terms of the beauty that's created and the art that exists and that kind of thing. But there also are a lot of challenges to being a Christian today. Um, let, let's talk about uh, about Christian family and setting a right tone for your uh, for your kids. And I think the best way to do this might be to just move through the phases of life, if you will, okay, okay? Um, uh, rather than just dive in. So let's talk first about the family that has really little kids and and setting the right tone for for the home uh, for for a family that, say, has uh, toddlers and kindergartners and, and, and that level. How do you how do you get started in 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 uh, setting the tone for what a house should look like. Well, that was a challenge for Therese and myself. Uh, we both came from non-Christian homes, and both came from dads that were alcoholics, fairly functioning. And so I remember uh, 
we had kids and it was like, I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I read a couple books and I was around some good families and I think you need to really lay down what is it as our objectives. Do we want our kids to be holy or mm-hmm. do we want them to be happy? Mm-hmm. And uh, so in those toddler years, we really tried to set some things up that we wanted uh, sitting around the table and eating together and talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, Putting your kids to bed and reading them stories, uh, making very few rules, but you know, having clear boundaries where you help the little ones understand this is right, this is wrong. Mm-hmm. Understanding intellectually, they can't grasp all these concepts. You don't need to explain a ton of things. So you didn't do the ontological trinity with them. No, we uh, we we waited for third grade for <laughs> okay, that. <one>. Okay, <laughs> but but I mean, it was just really loving them a lot. Uh, modeling is so big at that age. It, but also, I think that what I watch happening now that I have grandkids that age mm-hmm. is there's such a uh, a pool to make kids the center of the world, mm-hmm. and everything revolves around them. That doesn't produce healthy kids. Yeah, uh, you want you want kids to understand. You know, God is the center of our family. And not just in words, but what you do and how you model that. And we did the same. We I remember we had these little um, stories that were done by Concordia Press, which is a Lutheran press, that are all in rhyme. That would be the stories that we'd read every night. And it got to the point where I would have read them enough that I could stop in the middle of the sentence and they would finish yeah. it and that kind of thing. And it, it just – it does. It sets a right kind of tone and, and puts a – uh, puts a right uh, a, a right feel to the family in terms of the types of things that you talk about. Now, I'll tell you something that we didn't do well. We're, I'm not a big eat around the table person. Mm-hmm. I tend to to eat eat in the living room, and and so we tended to be real informal about the way we structure that. I think I'd do that differently yeah. if I were if I had a chance to start over again. Uh, but uh, but you're right. When they're young, it's important. And and here's another question that often comes up: How much should a parent say it's the church's job to help with the kids as opposed to my job? Because after all, they're the professionals. Well, I think that is a myth. Mm-hmm. Uh, the church will not stand before God for your kid. You will. Mm-hmm. And so I really felt like even even not just spiritually, uh, we lived in a part of the country that had very, very poor education, uh, had uh, schools where I watched my kids in school like in the really early grades, they weren't learning. Hmm. And I realized, you know something? Uh, I, I own that. So mm-hmm. I, I took that on at home, and we had to kind of educate our kids because I thought, you know, they're getting good grades as they kept pushing them through. But I, th- I think it's our responsibility. You know, Deuteronomy 6 talks about it's that when they rise and when you walk. Exactly. And it's, and it's, the, it's the whole ambiance of your home. And so mm-hmm. it's not just we read a story or eat together. It's, you know, you're, you're, you're playing games and mm-hmm. you're talking. And I was really committed uh, because of my background of not coming to Christ that it was going to be an exciting adventurous, fun place to live in my house, mm-hmm. and also very word-centered. Yes. And and so I, I take it then, I, it's clear you put your kids in schools. Were they Christian schools or public schools? You know, or? we did we did both. In the uh-huh. early years, we, we kind of did both because, frankly, there were a lot of limited options. My, my personal perspective was in those very early years uh, when kids can't rationally reason, mm-hmm. I wanted the school to be on my team. I mm-hmm. wanted them reinforcing things. At junior high, we evaluated each kid and what was best, and all of our kids spent either all or some time in public high schools. Interesting. And we spent a lot of time around the table. We talked about evolution, sexuality, mm-hmm. and, and my kids saw themselves as missionaries. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that really helped them own their faith. I think you have to look at your child, where they're at, what's their maturity, what's the environment, and you make individual That's decisions. That's a, a great, great um, advice. I mean, I, I, we also put our 
kids in uh, in Christian in, in sorry in public schools after a start in Christian yeah. school and uh, and we di- and we did it for the reason that we really wanted them to be able to grow up and interact with the culture and we wanted to be around them as they were learning right. those lessons and be able to reinforce what was going on because we were afraid that if it was you know I'm in a seminary so it's seminary church you know Christian school that they would never get a sense of uh, of what of the larger world that they would live in. And of course, uh, we did sabbaticals in Germany, which put them in German schools in second language. So that was a whole other wow. kind of experience in which they, you know, they were learning German in at eight and nine and five. They were learning German with kids from Serbia and Bosnia, and you know, I mean, that, that was a completely different kind of experience. Now that's something you most people don't get the chance to replicate. But it's what it did teach our kids is there the the world has no boundaries. You yes. can go and function anywhere, and that was a very very valuable experience. Okay, let's talk about the 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 black hole years they, they, as they grow up and they hit the edge of elementary school, begin junior high, um, hit the teenage years. Uh, my description of the teenager is: um, you go from being at the top of the ladder in terms of greatness to way way down the list. And uh, a kid oftentimes enters a black hole, and they although our kids were good as teenagers and and uh, then somewhere in their 20s you recover mm-hmm. you know that when they hit their 20s you recover and you you may not get back quite to the level that you were when they were real young but uh, but they begin to respect you again and when that happens don't ask how it happened or why just be grateful yes. that they've come back so let's talk about those hard years the the oftentimes the teenagers where kids are facing tough choices mm-hmm. and 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 parenting is tricky because you're trying to give them space as they're finding out who they are, and yet at the same time, uh, you've you've got to be there for them. Well, I would say both by experience and watching this happen in the church forever, as research as well, is the greatest thing you can do is live the life before them. Uh, when kids see you live differently at home than you do at church or outward, uh, that is a recipe for rebellion and hmm. rejecting your faith. Uh, I think the other thing is that you're not going to be that person on the top, and I think a lot of parents struggle because as they feel rejection from their kids, they cave in Mm -hmm. and give them things they know aren't very good or are passive. And so I think you need to be really strong in terms of these are the boundaries. Mm -hmm. I love you. You can never do anything that I'll stop loving you, but you can't have your own way. And and the culture, I mean, it's not just out there, it's in the church. And so, I mean, I was the worst parent in the world, according to my kids at times, you know, <laughs> Dad, what do you mean we can't play that video game where yeah. people kill – well, we don't do that here. And, yeah. and you know, here's why. And, yeah. um, you know, music issues. And, and so we were never legalistic about uh, this makes you right or this makes you wrong, but we made our home the place that was fun. Mm-hmm. The friends came over. And, and I, mean, I lived in Santa Cruz, Santa Cruz where mm-hmm. it's, um, they think Berkeley's too far right. Right, right. And so, you know, we had a world where uh, – multiple sexuality, the trisexual, bisexual speakers were in all the public schools. Mm-hmm. And so my kids were bombarded with things, but they learned to own their faith. Mm-hmm. But well, you need to have sort of that open communication. And I think when you set boundaries, then make them few, but enforce them. And, uh, and you just keep loving them through it. And we had some that compliant personalities, they sailed right through. And I had one son that I mean, you know, no matter what I did, how hard it was, he look at, is that all you got? Yeah. So uh, I just think it's can it can be tough water at times, but uh, you persevere and you love them and you model it. And 
How do you wrestle with the problem of deciding which battles are the ones worth fighting? I mean, you know, because you can deteriorate into an environment in which everything is a battle. So how how do you how do you wrestle with with the choice of I'm going to give a child space here because mm-hmm. this is. Yeah, it might not be the best decision, but this is right. not one to go go to war on versus the ones that, that really matter. How do you help sort through that? Well, what we tried to do is is really lay the foundation. The, the earlier you start, the better, mm-hmm. and and having a real clear picture of what, what do you want your kids to turn out on? What, what's your part? And realize you can't own all that. Your uh-huh. kids don't – you know, there's not a one-to-one correlation that these kind of parents produce these kind of kids. Right. But what I did know was that, um, you know, it's like letting out string on a kite. Uh-huh. And so what you, what you want to do is you want to feed them more and more responsibility. Mm-hmm. And then when it got to be one of those semi-gray, rather than say yes or no, I would often ask my kids, well, what do you think you mm-hmm. got to do? And, and, well, Dad, I want to go to this, that. Okay, tell you what, for 24 hours, I want you to pray about it, mm-hmm. and, and then let's get back and talk about it and tell me what God says to you. So I wanted the weight uh-huh. of their decisions to move from my mom or dad say yes or no to them. So you wanted them to own it. Yep. And, and, and there's times where, like you said, it was yeah. like, this is probably not be the greatest decision, yeah. but that's how you learn to make good decisions. Yeah. But there were ones that I knew that the damage would be minor. Yeah. On, on a couple others where you know, they got involved maybe in dating a, a non-Christian, mm-hmm. and you could just see the writing on the hand – what's that phrase? Handwriting on the wall. wall. Yeah. And, and I, I set some really clear boundaries, and we had some, you know, I just can't believe you, and that's so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And, but about 10 years later, they really – Thank me when they, but but that was hard, and mm-hmm. I, you know there's no way around it. There there are certain things I think you draw real clear lines, and then other things is just, you know, they make some decisions, they get some consequences, and they learn and they grow. Now uh, let's talk about um, devotions in the house and that kind of thing, because there are a variety of ways to encourage that in terms of what you encourage your kids to read, etc. Um, how how did you handle those kinds of situations? We. Uh, you know, we did some stuff around the table. We dinner was like uh-huh. the most sacred thing. Five thirty, and I was pastoring a very large church. Mm-hmm. It was growing. There was all kind of demands, but it was. Uh, I was there. The kids were there. We ate. We talked. Um, we we did tons of Bible stories foundationally and all mm-hmm. that. The older we got, it was more application mm-hmm. interaction. Uh, I tried to help my kids early on develop some time with God, mm-hmm. and so the older we got, it was more of. The expectation is they would meet with God on their own, right? And we would talk and discuss it. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't sort of this. The older you get, the more top down you are, yeah. the more they reject it, right? And uh, and often it was uh, brief, mm-hmm. but very interactive. And then you know that's what our kids saw us do. And so right. most of them early on developed that habit. And I've since kind of read the research that if you walk with God personally mm-hmm. and your kids early on get in God's word for themselves, I was way more mm-hmm. excited about them meeting with God privately than us saying, you know, five out of seven times this week. We right. Had this it's not checking moment. a box on a program. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, and I think the especially in those times too is really grasping the the teachable moments. I remember playing one on one the driveway and being dripping with sweat mm-hmm. and you know talking to my son isn't it great our bodies work and a 30 second prayer mm-hmm. or an ambulance goes by and you see a wreck that's and you stop and you pray I, they catch those things mm-hmm. and uh, so that's kind of how we tried to do it oh, that's we were a great, great. sort of formal in in limited ways but really wanted them to grow on their own. Now here's a real kind of practical question. I know that we have people in our church who wrestle with this. You know, are, we do have a 
culture that that encourages kids to participate in all kinds of activities, yeah. and particularly when they hit junior high and high school, the opportunities, whether it be band or sports or whatever. And the tension there becomes these events, of course, oftentimes take place on the weekends, and right. oftentimes Sunday is a big, big day for those kinds of events. So how did you sort – did you sort through those kinds of tensions, and, and how did you negotiate th- those elements of life? Well, I was uh, – I mean, my dad was a great athlete. Mm-hmm. I went to college on a basketball scholarship, mm-hmm. so I'm a sports crazy guy, mm-hmm. played all kind of sports with all my kids. But what I realized early on is that youth sports could take over your family. Mm-hmm. And we made it real clear that you know you could play one sport in one season. Uh, I'm watching families now right. who spend most of their time in a minivan or an SUV Absolutely. eating fast food. And again, the whole world is this, – it's this fear that, well, all the other kids are starting at three. I got news for you. Three, four, five, six-year-olds don't need to be in any kind of formal youth sports. <laughs> the NFL is not looking yet, right? Well, and, and so I think what you do is you say, this is what really matters, mm-hmm. and you draw some lines. And in most Christian, the culture right now, mm-hmm. you will feel like you're a salmon swimming upstream, even in the church, mm-hmm. to set some clear boundaries. So I wanted my kids to try different sports, and then as they had an appetite for one or other, and then we just set limits on how many we were going to do. Mm-hmm. And that whole traveling team, we thing. Uh, You talk about a black hole. I've Mm -hmm. seen whole families that walked greatly with God. There's a lot of vicarious ego going on there. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of money spent that people don't have. Mm -hmm. And I watch people work all week and then literally wear themselves out for two days. All day Saturday, we've got to go to this game, this game, this game, this game. Uh, Very unwise, and I will tell you what it produces. It produces kids that don't believe that God is the primary aspect of their life. Mm -hmm. It produces families that get pulled apart Mm -hmm. and people that honestly really thought that their own self-esteem had a lot to do with how their kid kicked the ball or made a basket. So Mm. um, I I think – now, we played sports. Mm -hmm. My kids played different sports. But they really understood our world's not going to revolve around your youth sports or your traveling team. Okay. Now, the variation on that, of course, is music. I mean, uh, uh, we had kids who – I had one son who did team soccer. I had uh, – uh, well, all our all our kids – I have three children. Uh, all of them did band Yeah. Uh, so in high school. So that you know took up some time. And, and frankly, that was a rounding out experience for them. I yeah. went to a school where we didn't have a band, where we didn't do – I never learned learn to play any instrument at all. I mean, the only instrument I can play is my voice, and I don't play it very well. So, uh, um, so, so uh, what about what about those kinds of activities? They may be school related as well in terms of they're pulling your kids into into relating to other kids. Well, our kids did all those. I mean, you know, one kid played basketball and volleyball, another wrestled. Uh, all my kids were musicians. Uh, a lot of that was is that we did something really – it was an experiment. Mm-hmm. And uh, when my kids were small, I realized that uh, I just had a habit because my parents did. It's amazing how you do things that uh-huh. you don't really think about it. And I just had the habit of um, – kind of from 9 o'clock to about 11 o'clock, you had to watch the news to stay up on life. So yeah. every night I'd you know watch an hour and a half of TV, and, and I thought, nothing bad, this or that. And so we did an experiment. We said, let's try on a school night what it's like not just to watch TV. Yeah. Well, we were – I mean, we were on each other, and everyone's irritable first yeah. two, three days. Well, then – you know, pretty soon we're playing a game on the floor, and then kids are bored, so picks up a guitar, and uh-huh. someone goes to the piano, and and then pretty soon, you know, my lands, it's 9.30, and there's nothing to do, so 
Might as well just go to bed 9.30 or 10 <laughs> where you wake up at, you know, 5 right. and you're fresh and you gain a couple hours. So our kids ended up during the week, that experiment sort of got sustained. Uh-huh. And we ended up finding these hours in the day where, you know, they did those kind of things. But we had a lot of time as a family because we really didn't let, especially during the week, the electronic stuff dominate our home. Interesting. Now, how about how old were your kids when you made that move? You know, with uh, mine are 13 years apart, okay. so they were about every age. I had one five, one twelve, and you know, one probably 14 oh, wow. in, in that area. Yeah. So. so again, we were hitting into the teenage years yes. where television can be attractive option. Yeah, television and surfing, uh, the, uh-huh. the video games. Just you gotta. Again, on the one hand, it's if it's never, 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 you're sort of this legalistic, completely apart from the world. Right. You know, your kids, believe me, they're at their friends' homes doing some stuff. Right, right, right. But so you want to give them opportunities, but at the same time, what I'm seeing, you mm-hmm. know, and I'm, I'm kind of in the trenches as a pastor, yeah. is I'm watching really smart people as right. parents, advocate as parents, and letting their kids spend incredible time on their phones, computers, and games. And can't figure out why there's no. As long as they're not in my hair, it's fine. It's yeah, exactly yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's a lot of energy. And yeah. The fact that it's parenting, right? It's so much easier. I mean, you have to confront. You got to get up out of the chair. You've yeah. got to address the issues. And and my journey was, we would be real disciplined and real helpful, and my kids would really respond well. Mm-hmm. And the person who always got lazy was me. Uh-huh. And so when I got inconsistent, their mm-hmm. behavior changed. Uh-huh. And no matter what you're doing. Six weeks from now, it's probably not going to work. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's a journey. So you're, and you're, so you're constantly adjusting to what's yeah. going on and that yeah. kind of thing. Uh, well, that, that, that helps uh, teenagers. Let's talk about uh, a very sensitive area of life, I would say. And I've heard you speak about this, so this is one of the reasons I'm asking. How do you prepare your kids for their life mate? Hmm. Um, how do you uh, – I mean um, – I actually can use this. I have a twenty-year-old, twenty-eight-year-old son. He still hasn't found his his uh, his life. He may never do so, and I'm, I may have to come to grips with that. But anyway, uh, how do you help them find their life? Their life mate. What what are there things a parent can do to help in that regard? Yeah, I think one is you know again early on you want them to give a biblical worldview. <laughs> I, I think it's really important. And uh, don't let me go off on this. Mm-hmm. I've seen really really godly parents who their kids hit early teens or even middle teens and they start dating a, an unbeliever, mm-hmm. and, and they come to me and say, well, I know it's not really good, but I'm afraid that if I really clamp down, they'll rebel. Mm-hmm. And my message is, no, they are rebelling. Yeah. So, so if they were smoking dope... <laughs> You've already lost the battle. Yeah, if they were yeah. smoking dope right now or uh, got drunk three nights a week, is that would you tell me the same thing? Yeah. And I would say... When you allow your kids' hearts to get connected, mm-hmm. that will when, – when you when you have infatuation and feelings of love, mm-hmm. your IQ drops about 30 points uh-huh. and your holy Q drops about 60. Uh-huh. And you can make the Bible and anything say anything you want. Uh-huh. And so we – one is we wanted – we taught them early on. Mm-hmm. We um, – we really spent time when they were young and talked about the areas of sexuality mm-hmm. appropriately. And so it was sort of a, again, letting out the string. And we talked about this is what you're going to experience. I mean, a, a young man, when you have a wet dream, this mm-hmm. is what's happening and here's how God's made you. Right. Our daughter, when you're developing. Yeah. And then it was pretty soon, you know, this is because God has something special for you. Right. And we tried to picture the adventure and the joy of what God has. and. You know, some were easier than others, right? And, and then, and then, I think that those issues of uh, sexual purity were not about 
um, you can't do this, you can't do that, or you either parent out of fear or out of faith. Right. And I think what you get a parent is out of faith and say, you know what, your sexuality is precious. Mm-hmm. It's gift. It's wonderful. It's good. And and you know now we have research that talks about the the bonds that occur actually in the brain. Right. And, and so you want your kids to understand it's something that's holy, mm-hmm. and and therefore here's how to prepare for that. Right. Yeah. And, and I think this is an extremely important discussion because I think that as I listen to you, we we did a podcast earlier with. Um, when we talked about sexuality, mm-hmm. and um, and we had our our two of people who teach sexuality here and a, and a sex counselor, and sh- and what you're saying about life in general is the way they said to handle sexuality. That you talk about it, you create an environment in which you can have a conversation, where you can talk about anything, yeah. and you, and you set a tone of in, of I'll use the word engagement, really of engagement on the topic that. That uh, where you come alongside your child in in, in a way and, and set an environment so that through the entirety of their life you're available for them in the yeah. area. This episode is brought to you by the Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, "If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican." Huh? That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on the Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. It sounds like that's what you're, what you're, what you're talking about. And well, so people, you know, I mean, you know, so we we need to be. If I'm listening to right. me right now, I'm I'm creating pictures that are not true about right. what I've said. So right. here's what people need to understand: I had one son who just absolutely was rebellious. We went through about three and a half, four years of, you know, I'm not going to live this way. And, yeah. and I mean, it was really, really hard. He didn't go outside of big moral boundaries, uh-huh. but I mean, it was horrendous. We, um, I remember my one son in college who came home and in tears and dating a girl, great Christian girl, and literally saying, Dad, you know, how do you ever stop lusting? I mean, yeah. everything. I mean, so this was real life. This right. wasn't like, but but he said, you know, I've I've thought about this, and you know, we sat on his bed, and I said, son, let, let me tell you about my college years. Uh-huh. Let me tell you where I struggled, because uh-huh. your kids need to understand <laughs> that you've been there, you've That's done right. not something wrong with them. Um, we've been through the time where they meet that person, and they're convinced they're the right person, uh-huh. and you and your wife, or or you're a single parent, and you're sitting up in bed alone, going. They marry this person. Man, this is going to be a train wreck. Mm-hmm. And 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 yet, you know, they're 21 years old, 22 mm-hmm. years old. Uh, one of the things I think you always want to do is have those people in your home, that whole environment where you get to know them and where you can keep talking about what's going on. But so this isn't clean. I just yeah, want people yeah, to know yeah. this. It's this very is not messy. Like, oh, it, it is yeah. really tough. But yeah. 
here's a picture that's always been helpful. If you if if you're the parent here and and this is your child, mm-hmm. what you need to understand, you need to build a bridge of relationship and the stronger that bridge of trust and relationship, the more truth that can go over that bridge. Hmm. And so there's times where a lot of weight cuz down deep in their heart, even though you 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 get to the bottom of that mm-hmm. ladder in some ways, down deep in their heart, your kids, whether they act like it or not, super respect your opinion mm-hmm. and they want your approval mm-hmm. and there's just really hard times where i remember with my daughter at one point i said honey i really love you and she said dad i just want you to bless this mm-hmm. you know he's a godly guy and etc mm-hmm. this and um i said honey i would love to and i've prayed i've fasted mm-hmm. i love you mm-hmm. i'm for you but your life vision is this and his life vision and history is this mm-hmm. and I'm behind you 100%, but I can't be dishonest with you. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we were in tears. We had a, about a nine-month period where we'd always been really close, and mm-hmm. it was, well, Dad, you know, you're welcome to your opinion. Yeah. You know, I'm 21 years old. I'm a junior in college. And, and boy, what a, what a, I mean, what a hard time that was. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, and it was, it was like this, you mm-hmm. know. So, uh, but at the, the end of the day, I think our kids um, – They'll make wise decisions. They might always be the ones that you like, but it is a journey. And I, I just want people to understand there's not some, oh, if you do this little formula now, by how God's you, grace, they married you, well. How do you wrestle with the balance between, and, the, and you're getting at this with this illustration, it's actually what triggered the question, between being supportive of the person, I want to communicate, I'm really behind you, and yet at the same time uh, saying, in effect, but this road that you're on is really yep. – and, and now we're talking about I'm, – I'm thinking about kids who are at an age where you really can't control right. what they do. And in fact, I think one of the mistakes that parents make is they live – one of the myths is they live with the impression they can control what mm-hmm. their kids do. And I, I think that inevitably gets them into trouble. So um, so how do, you, how do you deal with that balance? Well, I have four grown kids. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all married now. And, and what I would say is – uh, ra- when we communicate things in anger about things that disappoint us, uh, we will probably not be heard at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, the hardest things I've ever had to say to my kids, one, is you have to say them. Mm-hmm. Don't talk to one another and don't tell all your friends about all this issue with one of your kids that's eating you up inside. Mm-hmm. When you're clothed and in your right mind mm-hmm. um, and prayed up, you need to look your kid in the eye and you need to say, honey or son, I need to tell you something. Uh, I love you very, very, very much, but this decision or that relationship is breaking my heart. Mm-hmm. And you can go down, the, uh, you're at that age, mm-hmm. you can make that decision, mm-hmm. but I'm going to tell you that the consequences of that decision look like that, and it's going to be painful. And and I'm for you, and I love you, but I have to warn you. So, so again, we're back to this principle, I think, that I'm hearing that you're helping them own the decision, but right. you want to – if I can use an analogy, you're like the, the traffic signs on the highway that tell you, well, watch out, there's a, there's a slippery corner coming up, you right. know, that kind of thing. And I think we have to, when they make certain decisions – like my my one son, he was a very you know he's been we've been very open about it. There was a point in time where it was, you know, hey, you know, if I want to stay out till two or three in the morning or this or that, and I said, you know, we have very few rules, but there's other kids in the home, mm-hmm. and one, uh, our energy, you are messing up my marriage, son, mm-hmm. and you're disrupting our whole home. Mm-hmm. And we did all the things that you could do. Very strong-willed mm-hmm. kid, 
And um, I remember sitting in the car and tears running down my cheeks. Hmm. And he told me, Dad, you know, I really like you as a person. I just wish you weren't a Christian dad. Mm-hmm. I don't think I buy any of this stuff about God or Jesus. And, mm-hmm. and so I'm going to live my own way and this and that. And we'd been through this journey for like three and a half years. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying, you know, son, I think I've taught you all I can. Mm-hmm. Your mom and I love you. We're praying for you. If you're at the point where you want to call all the shots in your life, mm-hmm. I want you to know that you also get all the responsibility. So if you can figure out how to make a living, Mm -hmm. food, um, find a place to live, but you have a decision. And the decision is whether you agree or disagree, you can live in our house Mm -hmm. with a good attitude. Mm -hmm. You don't have to believe anything I believe, Mm -hmm. but you won't wreck our home. Mm -hmm. Or you can move out, Mm -hmm. and I'll give you 48 hours to pray about that. Mm. And and now this was not – and this you don't bluff with this kid at all. Yeah. And – and so, you know, that was a tough one. He he eventually came out of his bedroom about three days later, <laughs> and there was a real change, but he was so manipulative, I thought, yeah, we'll see how this goes. Mm-hmm. And we went through a journey, and, um, you know, to be honest, too, I felt like of all my kids, he's probably wired a lot like me. We're mm-hmm. both intense, both in mm-hmm. strong leaders. I feel like a lot of his was insecurity and hurt, and as a young dad, mm-hmm. afraid to fail, mm-hmm. I was unintentionally throwing gasoline on the fire of his strong will. Huh. So I was I was pretty stupid at times uh-huh. as well. But it was – and he was very rebellious. Uh-huh. So anyway, there was a real turning there, and mm-hmm. uh, God did an amazing work in his life. He later became a worship pastor, and after that started writing Christian songs that we all sing. Oh, wow. And, and our dream as his parents were, oh, God, help Jason just not be in the ditch. Yeah. And yet, it was that that perseverance, that strong will. And later on, I said, Jason, I mean, you know, as a pastor, yeah. you're thinking, was it that message? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Was it – and you know what? He actually wrote a song about it. He said, Dad, here's what it was. He said, you weren't worried about me embarrassing you in church. Mm-hmm. Um, at home, you and mom are the same as outside. Mm-hmm. And he said, when tears flowed down, I realized this Jesus means so much to you and mom. Um, I really had to take a second look. Mm-hmm. And down deep, what I realized is I, I think I wanted to see how far I could push the boundaries. Mm-hmm. And I found out how far in the thought. I realized, well, wait a second, what really matters and what's really important? He said, I had a couple days of wrestling. Is there a God? And is what I've he owned his own faith, mm-hmm. and uh, it was a big turning point. But mm. it's really hard. I, I mean, because it was is what Lee said. It's one thing, you know, you put up the stop sign. You are that, but but there's times where if you go through that, you're not only going to slip, you're going to go through a guardrail, yeah. and you're going to go over the cliff. It's a hospital is on the other yes. end. Yes, yeah, and, yeah. and and you yeah. know what? And I can't stop that. Yeah. And, and so that's hard. Yeah, I, I think the hardest thing of being a parent in many ways is 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 um, give. <laughs> this is going to sound like a strange now. It's giving space that they already have. If you get what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. In other words, we think we're giving up space, but in fact, they're making their choices through their life anyway. Right. You, you, it's an illusion to think that you can you you can. Ha- you can make the decisions for them, and in fact, in many cases, I found that that you that the the parents who make all their decisions for their kids in the end oftentimes end up regretting it on the other oh, end. I couldn't agree more. In, in fact, what I what I think is it starts even earlier. Mm-hmm. Is what, what you want to do is you want to feed your kids adventure, responsibility, and vision. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, when they're two, you know. 
Let them help with this. When they're three or four, they get to help make the bed. When mm-hmm. they're five, everyone has a job. And then it's, you pray for your neighbors. And then, you know, they're 10 or 12, and we're going to go to Mexico, and we're going to build a house. And then, like in my case, if they're 12 years old, and I've got to go on a trip, and we're going to go to Africa, son, strap it on, here we go. And mm-hmm. we were in dangerous places, but mm-hmm. what they saw was... We have turned Christianity into being a nice person mm-hmm. and, and, and trying to control their morality mm-hmm. so they don't mess up, make us look bad. And, and we have all these milk toast. We're revolutionaries. Yeah. We're counterculture revolutionaries. You want to train warriors mm-hmm. to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And a great offense is the best defense. Yeah. And, and, and the, the, the flip side of that is, is that if you. It, if you make decisions for your child all the way through their lives, then when they get to the point where they're having to make decisions, uh, the, one of t- I've seen one of two things. They're either incapable of doing it, yeah. or oftentimes they'll do whatever they want because for the first time in life they have the freedom to do so, and so they just go. Yeah. And both of those both of those are different kinds of of disasters in many ways. Um, well, let's 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 talk about we've we've talked about teenage years. Let's let's talk about um, and we've talked about preparing for the mate. Let's let's talk about what happens when things change. When when your child is now a full fledged adult mm-hmm. and you're and you're there. Because um, in one sense, even though you know Scripture says they go and they make their own home, you still. You're still their parent. You're right. still. I mean, I'm. You know, I'm still mom and dad, and and, and we still got mom and dad in our house, as well as opa and opa and oma, and, and <laughs> so that's what I'm called opa, and my wife's called oma. Those are German names, and so, um, so how how do you how does parenting change when you're no longer the parent? Here's uh, this isn't original at all, and I'll probably mess it up. And if someone remembers where I got this, they can let us know. But in those really early years, when you are instilling values, this is the way it is. When, you know, children in terms of, you know, Kohlberg and all that developmental psychology Mm -hmm. of how they think in concrete terms, and then in the teenage years, early teenage years, abstract thinking, and then when they get older, decision-making, and their brain's still developing. Mm -hmm. You need to be kind of the commander in Mm -hmm. the early years, Mm -hmm. and you're laying out railroad tracks. Mm -hmm. The pre-teen through the teen years, you need to be a coach. Mm -hmm. Coaches teach, instruct, but... You're 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 giving away. And it's their game. It's their game. Yeah. And then when they when they're adults, you need to turn into a consultant. Mm-hmm. And consultants are ask for their opinion. Consultants, mm-hmm. uh, because of their expertise, their love, how how you've done things in the past, you want your kids uh, to come to you and ask about things. Mm-hmm. When you offer a lot of, you know, I don't think you ought to do that. Or I see parents trying to solve their problems. You mm-hmm. know, we had this rough life and it was really difficult. And of course, that's where we got close. That's where God really shaped our lives. But we don't want you to have any of that. So here's a down payment for a house. Here's how you can live <laughs> yeah. here. Uh, here's how we'll pay for your kids' education. I mean, yeah. again, is right motive, yeah. bad application. You, yeah. you, you need to be that consultant person who doesn't tell them what to do, but where you have this relationship where um, you speak into their life as they give you permission. Yeah, I, and what's interesting is, and I was joking earlier about uh, you know the teenage years where you don't get consulted, and then all of a sudden in the twenties the the, call, the phone starts ringing again. Yeah. Um, it's amazing to actually watch that happen uh, when when you when a child comes back to you and says. Um, Dad, what do you think? Yeah, and 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 it's and it's clear 
they're thinking through and making their own decision. They may be doing it in a way that's different than the way you would do it, but they're but they are coming to you for for I just need I just need to bounce this off someone, and mm-hmm. I can't think there are only a handful of people who I think are worth bouncing it off of, and you happen to be one of them. It's you know? a thrill, isn't it? Exactly, and you, and you sit there and and you offer the best that you that you can, and sometimes that relationship gets to the point of you remember that decision that was about two years ago mm-hmm. where you were thinking about this. You're kind of in the same place again, yeah. you know, and and let's think through what we're going to do uh, this. I, I again, I I use my sons that we've been using our kids as illustrations. I have a son who's pursuing sports law. And when he had, he had an internship at one point, he's in New York City at St. John's University, and he had an internship with the New York Rangers. And I urge you got to network like crazy because this is a great opportunity. You can't believe all the people you have the opportunity to meet. You've got to follow up, et cetera, et cetera. He's a 20-year-old. He's, he, he's shy. He's not – networking is not a concept he's into. He's not there, et cetera. Well, four years later, he's looking for a job. You know, he doesn't have – he hasn't – he hasn't networked appropriately, et cetera. And so all of a sudden, all of a sudden the issue becomes, all right, how do you network? Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I, I get it. I didn't get it that time. Right. Now let's think about how we do it this time. And, and, and to get into that kind of place with your kids is a, is a, it's a one. It's a wonderful place to be um, if you, if you can get there. I'm going to shift gears slightly. Because we've talked about our own situations, and of course, in our situations, we're dealing with there's a there's a mom and a dad. You've got an you've got an intact household, if right. I can say it that way. But there are a lot of people who will be listening to us who are trying to form a Christian home, but right. it's not an intact family, or it's a blended family, or it's a blended family. So how do you what what I, in one sense the rules don't change, but you are dealing with different. Dynamics. So, what advice do you have there? Well, I've lived through both. Okay. Um, my wife uh, came to Christ. Uh, she married early, and um, her husband found that as he, she he was putting her through, uh, he she put him through college, mm-hmm. and he found he could make more money selling drugs, and uh, ran off with another woman to another state uh, when she got pregnant with twin boys. Mm-hmm. And I met her two and a half, three years later. As she's come to Christ, so she was a single mom. Okay. Well, then we get married. Uh, Two years later, when they're about four and a half, and now we're a blended family, mm-hmm. and I, I will tell you, I watched, uh, I watched her live a life as a single parent where uh, there wasn't support, there wasn't people around, and I mean, I don't think there's a harder job in the world than a single parent mm-hmm. and a single mom with teenage boys mm-hmm. is the recipe for the hardest job in the entire world. <laughs> yeah. Now I, we got to start early, and the biological father, you know, was never been in the picture, but. I would just say to those people, uh, you have to you have to go to, and this is you know where the body of Christ shows up. Mm-hmm. You've got to get the support and the strength of fellow believers in your life mm-hmm. to help give your kids what you just can't give them. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is a design here, mm-hmm. and, and the great majority of people now, I think it's twenty three percent or twenty six of America is that intact family you talk mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. So the great majority of people listening are not. That's not it. Exactly right. And even without any biological father in the mix, right. is uh, I still remember when my kids were like 10, 11 years old, and it was like, is this deep, deep bond ever going to happen? And going yeah. to a wise mentor and said, keep loving them, give it time, and, and God did that. But you have all those issues mm-hmm. uh, when you have a blended family. So you know, I think one is is getting realistic 
And I think people want this magic poof. Right. And we love Jesus, and we have family devotions, and now we're going to church. And I find thinking that finding that man or finding that woman is mm-hmm. going to answer your problems mm-hmm. is a myth. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are alone for reasons they're not quite sure of. Mm-hmm. But a lot of mistakes made in the last relationship, unless you really get healthy and get whole, this sounds so. Oh, I don't, I don't know, I don't know how to say this, but I've just been around this cor- corner so many times. Get your heart and mind fully filled, and get healthy with God and God alone, mm-hmm. uh, and then look for resources in the body of Christ. Then move forward if God has an open door and there's biblical grounds for a new relationship. It really is uh, an illustration, I think, of thinking through the fact that the Scripture does talk about other believers as another family. Yes, and uh, and in thinking about that, that that there's a that even though even though there may be brokenness in the biological family, there's an opportunity for support and uh, and and the supply of things that you can't. Give yourself, as you've said, uh, through that. I, you know, and and really, most of us, if we think about our own lives, think about the people who impacted us when we grew up. You know, not everyone who impacted us significantly was a biological member of our family. Right. I mean, right. you know, I have, I, I I can think of an English teacher in the sixth grade who affirmed my ability to write and think that was very important in my development. Um, she, you know, she just another person out on the street, other than the fact that she was my sixth grade teacher, or a coach that I had in in high school as I was on junior varsity, mm-hmm. who I was around all the time. Who, actually, this is really interesting. I actually didn't know that. He was a Christian until after I became a Christian years later. Wow! Uh, and yet, and yet, he everything that he did was was designed to encourage the kids that he was coaching mm. from from Christian roots. But he didn't wear it on his sleeve, and so you didn't know. I mean, you just didn't know. I, in some ways, I think that was a little sad. I wish, I, in some ways, I had known, but. The flip side of it is here's someone who impacted me. Who I had a father who traveled a lot. He was in. He was out of the house maybe 200 days out of the year. And so he here was a here was someone who represented a father figure. Mm-hmm. When I was growing up when I didn't have one. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, so it was an important uh, it's important hole to plug. Um, and I think we all have people like that. And so the opportunity for for those. That kind of support to come out of the Christian community is important because it'll come from somewhere. Yes. It, it 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 will definitely someone will fill that role, and I think at times we've we've got this little messed up. Like everybody wants their own group, you know, the singles, this group, and the young married, this group, and the older, and that intergenerational. Uh, in my wife's case, came to Christ, had only thought she was going to have a baby, found out she had twins when they were born, mm. no money, mm-hmm. um, person's gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a, her boss led her to Christ, mm-hmm. and then there was a group of women in a small little church hmm. that uh, that helped her learn to pray. Hmm. And my wife would have dates with God three or four nights a week and hmm. put those kids to bed and sing and pray. And, and when I met her, it was like – I mean, I my background, I'd memorized all these verses and yeah. you know, I had this head knowledge. Yeah. And when she talked about Jesus, he was like in the kitchen, get the sandwich. I mean, uh-huh. I, you know, oh, she would look at me and go, oh, God will never do that. What do you mean? Well, he's not like that. And she had this heart 
uh-huh. relationship that grew out of the body of Christ helping her and helped her with her kids. And and so I think sometimes it's the humility of saying, you know, as a single mom or a single dad, you know, I need help. Mm-hmm. Or, or realizing, you know what, everyone is married in this group but me and I feel uncomfortable. Go to the small group. And, and, and let that family create a place for you and your kids and mm-hmm. realize you have things to offer. Mm-hmm. We sometimes think about, you know, we need to help the poor. Right. I got news for you. We need the poor as much as they need us. Mm-hmm. Our, our need to give, our need to share, our need to realize it all comes from God is very much as important as people receiving. And the same is true in relationships. Is you know, it helps couples to be able to take someone into their family, and they can do some things that you can't. But it, it takes some vulnerability and some initiative, and sometimes that's very hard. Yeah, and I really do think this is a a, a difficult area because because of the stress that a single parent is often put under uh, of of having to be everything to the child with no relief. I mean, it really is a, a, a quite a burden, and 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 particularly when it comes in the context of a divorce situation where there can be all kinds of other things going on and hostility, uh, you know, inter- hostile energy wrapped around the house because of what people are going through, and you're in court and and settling finances, and it can be it can be pretty tough for kids. Yeah, really difficult. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I appreciate you taking the time to to be with us today to talk about aspects of Christian life and Christian home. I, I'll I'll ask the standard journalistic question at the end of a of a of an interview. I've been asked this question a hundred times. So, uh, and it basically is: Is there anything that you haven't had the chance to say, or we haven't covered that you think we should say here as we wrap up? I don't want to be overly simplistic, but I would say to people: If you want to have a great family, get to know God. Spend time with God. I, I don't care how hard. How, I mean, with four kids, my wife had to get up at five in the morning, and, and, and not not a legalistic, but it is um, the power of God's word and spending time around God's word and and just living the life. God has power, and I don't think we experience his power. He can fix families. He can repair marriages. He can restore kids, and I think we all want. You know, we we've lived in it. We're in a psychological world now, so we've taken all the Bible terms and we mm-hmm. made them therapeutic terms. Mm-hmm. And I think at times, people, you know, it's not like, oh, if I really love God, everything's going to be magically okay. But there's a passion and a tapping into the Holy Spirit living within you that is for you and loves you, and God wants to help people. And I think somehow we skip over that. And so, and the relational base that that builds gives you the backdrop for having healthy relationships yeah. with your kids. And you you have something to give, mm-hmm. and you have a worldview that says, um, "These are God's kids." Mm-hmm. I, I want to be a good steward of God's kids. I don't have control over their outcomes. They have little choosers. I want to create an environment first by how I live. And again, this is not perfect. Yeah. I, I can't tell you hundreds of times I apologize to my kids. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. What you did was wrong, but the way I yelled at you, mm-hmm. that was wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, 
kids need to just see you authentically walking with God. Hmm. And um, so that that would be the, the biggest thing. I mean, it, it, I know that's very, very simple, yeah. but sometimes I think we make it too complicated and think, you know, if I don't have a degree in psychology and if, you know, my kids aren't in the best schools. And you read all these stories, both in past and today, amazing leaders mm-hmm. have come out of very difficult situations. Mm-hmm. And uh, God wants parents to know, listening today, he could do that in your kids, regardless of where you're at. Well, thanks, Chip, for being with us, and we thank you for joining us at the table, and we look forward to seeing you again when we discuss issues between God and culture at the table. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. 